right, welcome to another, well, this is an, a special edition of Hazel and Katniss and Harry and Star, the young adult literature podcast, their filmic adaptations, and everything in between. I'm Joe. And I'm Brenna. I just yelled into the mic. Everybody was into it. Yeah, you know, I'm trying to bring the, the energy. We're recording early morning on a Saturday, and this is a special edition, so I wanted to bring that energy. I feel like I want to set things up for the listeners. I am in my office at the college. It's 7 a.m. on a Saturday. It's deserted. It's just me and one security guard. And I'm hoping he doesn't know that I'm about to sit in my office and talk about teenage penises with you, Joe. Yeah, I feel like we should preemptively say that this will possibly be the the naughtiest, raunchiest episode to date. Well, definitely content-wise. Yeah, so uh, we are doing a special edition to talk about the new Netflix series Sex Education that just dropped on Friday, which was January 11th. And this is a British television show that was made... I had the woman's name. I've lost the woman's name. Lori Nunn, is that her name? Yes, it is. Thank you. You're very welcome. Do you want to try to summarize what the premise of the show is? Okay, so it's a high school comedy drama that takes place in obviously a fairly well it's very English it's the like Englishest I guess they call them grammar schools right it's a secondary school and it's a a bunch of teens who are entering sixth form which is I guess the last two years of secondary school in the UK and the plot centers around Otis who's Mm -hmm. the sort of nerdy not very self-assured protagonist and the sort of funny context that gives the show its hook is that his mom is a sex therapist and he's a very very awkward typical uh, YA style high school virgin boy Mm -hmm. but what we learn over the course of the first episode and I guess what becomes the hook for the series is that Otis has internalized a lot of his mother's advice and he's able to dispense it to his colleagues at school uh, with the help of Maeve, an unlikely friend who is basically looking to cash in on uh, what Otis is capable of. Indeed, yes. And of course, they're surrounded by your traditional Motley crew of different kinds of stock character types. Although I've gathered from reading a couple of different reviews that many of them become more than just the initial sum of their characters. So even though you've got the stupid girl and the jock and the gay best friend, I think they all transcend to become fully realized characters over the course of the eight episodes. Which is typical for British television. I think generally they really like to play with those kinds of tropes, especially with teens. I was sort of put off a little bit by the beginning of the episode because the characterizations are so broad. But by the end of the first episode, you really do get hints of how that's going to become, each character is going to become more complicated as the episodes progress. Yeah, it's interesting because it almost feels as though this first episode, and we should clarify now, the two of us have only seen the first episode because we're literally recording this less than 24 hours after the whole series came out. And they're 50 minutes long, just so you know ahead of time, folks. Yeah, it's it does feel like a fast 50 minutes, I'll admit. A lot of the time I struggle with Netflix shows, you know, you go to turn it on, you're like, oh, geez, 50 minutes. I don't know. <laughs> this one does feel fast, but at the same time, it is 50 minutes. It's funny that you say that because when I went to look up the sort of information about this show, I fully expected to find out that this was like 
You know how sometimes the BBC will air a series and then Netflix will buy it and they'll be like, a Netflix original. And I totally expected that to be the case because it doesn't have the pacing issues of a typical Netflix show. And it doesn't have the sort of does anyone hire editors at Netflix vibe. So I was pleased by that. It was, you're right, it was a fast 50 minutes. I struggled with so many Netflix shows for that very purpose. But you're right, the shows that they pick up and claim ownership over traditionally have better pacing because they actually were made for television somewhere else in the world. Mm -hmm. So what were your initial impressions of the show? You mentioned it does start off a little bit raunchy. So it's like you turn it on and immediately you're in the middle of a semi-graphic sex scene between two teenagers. Yeah, and it's it's British television, so they don't shy away from like boobs and penises. We see lots of both. Mm-hmm. And I don't know. I don't, I don't think that I'm prudish, but I also was watching it and I was like, cool, I hope Joe doesn't want me to watch two of these because when the baby wakes up for the nap from the nap, this has to go off. Like there's no way I can be watching this with my child in the room. Brenna's son's first words were man milk. <laughs> Who would have thought it? <laughs> But all that to say, I think what redeems the show is that it has a lot of heart. Like the characters are, as I said off the top, like they're constructed really broad from the beginning. But even like, you know, the school kind of bully, we learn more about him and he becomes more complicated and interesting. And you kind of, you get a sense of what his interior life is like. Uh, And that's true of all of the characters that we meet in the first episode to greater and lesser extent. And I think the heart is what saves it. Like, it's raunchy for sure. The kind of thing that you would not typically see on like network television for sure. No, not at all. (laughs) But it's, it's really warm. And I think that that makes it... Honestly, that's what makes it watchable because all of this with like broad comedy attached to it would be too much for me. I would not enjoy. (laughs) That would not be fun. So the emotional core of, you know, Otis and Maeve in particular. And I also have to say that Gillian Anderson, I don't think we said this yet, but Gillian Anderson plays the sex therapist, plays Otis's mother. Jean. And she's quite lovely. Gosh. So I'll be honest, the only reason this show was even on my radar, I mean, I know Aza Butterfield, who plays Otis, the main character, he's been in Ender's Game, which I'm going to make you get around to one of these days. I love Uh, the book. I hate the author. Yeah, which is is exactly the conversation we will have whenever (laughs) we do it. But yeah, so he was in the film adaptation of that. He was in Hugo... Uh, he's been in a bunch of other things. He's- I was trying to figure out why he looked familiar. He's quite good. I wasn't sure of his casting off the top, but by the end, I was quite charmed with him. Mm-hmm. It's because he always, to me, looks just a touch alien. He always yeah, looks out of eyes. place among everyone. Yes, it is the eyes. But you're right. He's, I mean, he's an immensely talented actor. He always seems miscast until you actually watch whatever he's in, and then he completely takes ownership of the character. So. And I've got to say, he's the only person in the entire cast who seems age-appropriate to the role. <laughs> yeah, a lot of varying ages. But but let's come back to Jillian. So. Oh, sure, sorry. No, it's, I deviated. <laughs> so the reason that I was interested in the show is because I love Jillian Anderson so much. So as soon as I saw that she was coming back for a television show, I knew I wanted to pay attention to it. Her selection of television properties has been really quite good. And of course, most people are going to know her from X-Files. But this to me is akin to the direction that she's taken since she started to do a lot of UK dramas, particularly The Fall, where this is her affecting the same icy, cool British accent that she did in that series. But she's obviously a much more 
comedic warm figure in this particular show Mm -hmm. yeah that's actually what i like about her is that when you first meet her you think she's going to be i don't know villain might be too strong of a word but you think she's going to be the antagonist and by the end of the first episode you realize that she has that yeah that icy standoffishness but that her understanding of otis and the depth of their relationship carries you through what could otherwise have been a really stereotypical relationship yeah, it's true. And apparently she disappears for the first couple of episodes. Like she, I gather, has about as much to do in the first couple of episodes as she does in this initial episode. So she kind of pops in, she provides some comedic relief, she sets a little bit of the family context, you know, her practices run out of the house. So there's a highly amusing sequence where Otis has to run around and essentially remove all the phallic objects and symbolic paintings before the school bully comes over so that he's not made fun of. It's highly amusing because, of course, you're like, oh, there's ceremonial penises and eggplants and all sorts of other visual gags. And it's great, too, because it's an extended montage and he still doesn't get everything. Yeah, it just keeps going and going. And then they have this this scene with the bully where he's like, like, why is there a painting of a vagina on your wall? And he doesn't say vagina. And Otis is like, oh, no, that one's just an orchid. (laughs) It cracks me up. Which reminds me of that one woman whose entire art practice is essentially painting flowers that people misinterpret or read into thinking that they're female genitalia. Georgia O'Keeffe. There we go. Who is immensely talented? I bring the class to this podcast. (laughs) You really do. (laughs) That's why I keep you around. (laughs) Apparently, the later episodes of this season give Gillian Anderson quite a bit more dramatic weight to play with. So we do find out more about the absent husband slash father figure and how that has been contributing to not just their relationship, but also Otis's own sexual hangup. So in this first episode, we find out that he's faking masturbating for his mother and her various (laughs) cacophony of lovers to discover. And we don't really get to the bottom of it, but he essentially does not enjoy the act of touching himself and that is where a lot of the comedy comes from with him and his mom but also you're meant to understand that it's not that he's better off in terms of his own sexual mental health than any of his other classmates but that he fakes it a little bit better than the rest of them yeah and i think too i mean we get some foreshadowing that Gillian anderson's character is going to get bigger just by virtue of the fact that i mean it's it's a classic setup right she's a sex therapist who seems to only have one night stands, right? So she's a sex therapist who has a completely non-committal relationship to sex. So it's like, well, obviously this is going to be something that gets unpacked. There are moments in the first episode where we see Otis as kind of like the the more mature (laughs) figure in the -hmm. the family and moments where the mother, and so you can see this sort of switching back and forth between them as sort of who's going to be the most adult (laughs) in any given moment that gives a lot of life and comedy to those scenes. Yeah, I really enjoyed that interplay, if only because I think it's a little bit more true to life for a lot of people. Like, when you're a teenager, you often feel like you have the master narrative and nobody else really understands you and you're both in control and out of control. And I felt like the scenes, particularly, they often tend to happen over the breakfast table. But I liked that idea that she's not always right and he's not always right, but that they... I don't know, that they, they've got things that they're trying to work through. And yeah. it's, I don't know. I don't know what I'm saying. <laughs> I'm so eloquent. <laughs> well, it's early. I think you're right. I think that that's what works about their relationship. And I'm interested to see it develop. And of all the things going on in the show, it's the most, 
interesting to me because it's a parent-child relationship that we don't typically see in these kinds of properties. So I'm interested to see how it develops, especially with two really strong actors. Yeah. Um, the other character who I'm excited to see develop more is Otis's best friend, Eric. Oh, I thought you were going to say Maeve because she was my favorite character. I like her too, but I feel like I can see where her story is going. She's sort of set up already as everyone in the school thinks that she's this nymphomaniac, but really what she's actually selling for money in the bathroom is essays to kids who don't want to write their own essays. And so this idea that she's like actually the really smart girl who's been sort of miscast by the school, like I can sort of see that unraveling. I'm excited to see it, but I can see how it's going to go. I'm more interested to see how Eric's character develops. So Eric is Otis's best friend. He's one of only two openly gay kids at the school. Or if you believe him, the only two openly gay people in the entire town. <laughs> yes, that's that's right. I don't know. I really liked his characterization. He was the one character who I wanted more of in the first episode. We learn very little about him except that he's being bullied by the school bully and that he sort of has a crush but also doesn't want to only have a crush on the only other gay kid in school. And so there's some interesting stuff going on with his character. I was reading some of the reviews that talk about how he comes from a a really conservative African family, and that's going to play into his experience. So anyway, I'm interested to see how he develops more because I think he's the character we get the least of in the pilot. Yeah, I saw a number of people refer to him as the breakout star of the show. And I don't know if that's just because he's bringing so much energy and so much vitality to the interaction. So he's very much the comedic wit in a lot of the school set scenes. And definitely he's drawn the broadest, with the exception of the school bully, who's a bit of a ridiculous figure as well. To be honest, that's where I had a bit more difficulty with him. I mean, I think the actor who's playing Eric does a really good job. Nakuti Gatwa. Thank you. You're so much more on this than I am. <laughs> I literally have the Wikipedia page open. <laughs> I thought I did too. And then I'm like, why can't I find anything? Anyway, um... I think the actor is doing a really good job of delivering the goods. I found the character a little too stereotypical for my tastes, particularly the scene where you see Eric trying on makeup in his room as he's talking to Otis. And I was just like, oh, great. So we have yet another effeminate sidekick best friend who's very sexually audacious, but probably in practice a little bit more conservative. But, you know, she's sassy girl and she's got all the witty entendres and also she dabbles in makeup like a future drag queen. I'm just, I find it very tiresome, some of these campy depictions. You know, going back to our episode on Scott Pilgrim, sometimes I wish that there were a few more Wallace Wells depictions Mm. um, Mm. as opposed to, you know, future Priscilla, Queen of the Deserts. (laughs) I can definitely see what you're saying there, and I don't disagree with you at all. I have some confidence based on the way I see Maeve's character developing that the show will be more complicated and interesting with it, but I guess there's no real reason to trust any media with any depiction of gay teens, is there, really? No, I mean, I wouldn't I wouldn't <laughs> say that my concerns extend that far, and particularly if we're thinking about British television, you know, there's that history with things like Skins, where they actually treat all of their characters with respect. So I'm erring on the side of caution, but I actually think that your estimate of him blossoming into a more fully realized, interesting, like a character with a lot of depth or layers, I think that is going to happen. It's just, it's definitely not on show in this first episode. Fully agree. Fully agree. 
I mean, this is the struggle with tackling one episode of eight, right? Like, we have no idea where this is going, but there was enough in this pilot episode to fill me with confidence that the show does know what it's doing, if only because it has the hook, but then it also realizes that without that heart, the show doesn't work. Yeah, definitely. I really couldn't get over as I was watching it how much I needed that emotional center of Otis to be there for the show to be bearable. Because there's a lot going on that would turn me off from a property like this sort of right out of the gate. But I do really like Otis. And I think that seeing his relationships both with Maeve and with Eric... I think that there's only like up to go from there, which isn't really a great sentence, but again, it's quite early. Um, (laughs) And I'm interested to see what Gillian Anderson does with the role too, because she's Gillian Anderson and who doesn't love Gillian Anderson? Yeah. Okay. So as we're closing in, we're aiming for a hot 25 minutes with this. So (laughs) I did want to address a couple of interesting points. So a number of folks in the reviews brought up this unconventional approach to the visual aesthetic of the show. There's old-fashioned cars. Some of the aesthetics in Otis's and Jean's house look very 70s influenced. Mm, mm. Um, Even Gillian Anderson herself is styled in a way that, you know, she she could be a very modern woman with a a shock of bleached white hair and a low-cut jumpsuit, but it's also very, you know, oh, this could be 70s, 80s fashion as well. Mm-hmm. What did you make of the fact that the show is ostensibly styled like it's a period drama, but then it's obviously set in the modern age? Wow. Oh, I have... Mm. Did that even catch your attention or? Um, 100% it did not. No. Okay. <laughs> I was busy being taken by the fact that the setting is so different from what we've been seeing typically in the in the American dramas we've been looking at. We've been talking a lot about sort of wealth porn in YA. <laughs> um, and it's interesting because although obviously he is wealthy and obviously the school is sort of a mixed environment, but it's in like a beautiful old building. Mm-hmm. It's like one of those beautiful old English campuses. I didn't have the same sort of sense that I was just supposed to be like focusing on the Burberry bags and the designer jeans, which I took as a welcome relief. But you are much more the cinematographical <laughs> person. What did you make of the visuals? Well, I'll I'll confess that I found it a little bit confusing because I wasn't quite sure what the show was aiming at. I saw one well-informed article on the site Alka Hollywood suggesting that potentially the show was trying to evoke that masters of sex kind of time period in channeling the idea of sex therapy and trying to uncover people's sexual hangup, mm. almost like a calling card back to it. I think there's this interesting trend right now. I'm seeing it a lot in, in certain types of horror films where they're going for a timelessness period. So they're using certain modern elements, often things like technology around cell phones and the like, but then the visual aesthetic like cars or furniture and sometimes even clothing, they go into 80s, 90s, 70s, whatever, to try to evoke a certain timelessness so that it can make you just a touch uncomfortable or make you feel like you're kind of out of place or that you're lost in time. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. Riverdale plays with time a lot in ways that I haven't quite... Like, I haven't quite figured out what they're doing. Yeah, same with Chilling Adventures of Sabrina, which is done by the same guy. Yeah, and I, I some of that has to do with, like, calling back to the golden age of, of Archie as a property, I think. Like, there's a lot of play in the 1950s, but mm-hmm. it's not consistent. Even after having written about pastiche and how it functions in 
Riverdale, I'm still not sure. So it's interesting because I've not thought about it as being a broader trend. It's also interesting in the context of British drama because like a lot of things set in 70s Britain are like super bleak, right? Right. Like it was not a prosperous or aesthetically pleasing time. in the history of the UK, with -hmm. apologies to our British listeners. And so I'm wondering about that too, with it offset with the sort of classic opulence that we see in the home and the fact that Gillian Anderson is is so perfectly turned out in every scene that we see her. Like we mostly see her at the breakfast table and she does not look like any mom at a breakfast table that I've ever seen in my life, right? No, her fashion aesthetic is gorgeous and she's rocking some pretty great kimonos and yeah. robes and those kinds of things. But it is interesting. I, I do wonder how much wealth and wealth disparity will come into the into the series. Because now that I'm thinking about it, you know, we get like a lot of the scenes with Otis and Eric are them on their bikes. Mm -hmm. And there's a suggestion that the untouchables are rich because they have a car that they drive to school, whereas everybody else seems to arrive on foot or by bike. And then there's the mention that there's a bathroom or a wing that is asbestos ridden (laughs) and people should not go into it. Well, and one of the things that makes Maeve an outcast is that she's poor in comparison to the sort of other popular girls, right? There's a reference to like, oh, she doesn't even have enough money for a shampoo, which are, you know, teenage jabs, but yeah. also suggests that class is going to become... And I mean, can you really have a British drama set in a sort of comprehensive grammar school like this without some kind of clash of class? I would doubt it somehow. Yeah, I guess I'm interested now that we've begun sort of spotting some of that to see whether or not it actually plays off. I mean, the premise is inherently there. They're going to be charging their schoolmates money (laughs) for his assistance, and she will be the one to pimp him out, which I also like as a nice sort of fun gender reversal. Yeah, me too. I really like that she's going to be the brains of this operation, which is obviously sort of this undiscovered aspect of her personality that nobody else at school sees but we're given so many quick glimpses of in the just the few minutes we see her on screen in the first episode yeah yeah so i think there's definitely enough here to recommend if people have just been listening to this conversation and they haven't really checked it out or they're on the fence i think speaking for myself there's enough here that i'm interested in seeing how it plays out that i will continue the series Yeah, I will too, definitely. And actually, I have to say that this conversation has made me more interested in seeing it through. I think there's some more interesting stuff going on. And I'm now starting to turn the wheels in my brain about nostalgia and how it functions in all of these shows that are using this sort of timelessness callback quality. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to be attending to that too. Yeah, no, I'm definitely going to keep watching the series for sure. Cool. Okay. Well, if anybody has any thoughts about what we've brought up, or if you had your own interpretations, obviously, if you're watching ahead, maybe don't spoil it for the rest of us, but do feel (laughs) free to get in touch with us. We can be reached on Twitter using the hashtag HKHSpod. And Brenna, how can people get a hold of you? You can find me on Twitter at Brenna C. Gray. That's B-R-E-N-N-A-C-G-R-A-Y. And I am at B. Storm My Remote. And if you want to send us something a little bit longer, of course, we also have a Gmail account, which is just hkhspod at gmail.com. I don't think I knew we had an email account. That is very exciting. (laughs) Yeah, we had to set it up to get the podcast off the ground. Oh, cool. Go us. All right. Well, I guess until next time, I'll see you on the page or I guess 
also on the screen this week. Yeah, no, we're we're both hanging out on the screen this week. 